I thought that we would continue with what we looked at last week. Last week we talked about the idea of taking our thoughts captive, as St. Paul speaks of. And I drew on the board again what I had last week, and my apologies, evidently some of you were trying to take some snapshots to remember it. I'm going to leave this up for a little while after Sunday school today. Because this is the process of what we deal with. If we remember, we talked about this, that every thought comes from something. Every thought comes from either an internal influence or an external influence at any moment of our day. That influence presents this Greek word that we looked at last week. (coughs) Logismi. The birth of a thought. The influence, internal or external, presents the influence which births a thought. And when St. Paul says, take every thought captive, he's talking about taking this birth of the thought. Because again, like we said last week, you and I know that either one of two things is going to happen. We're going to take thoughts captive by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit in the moments of our life, or they're going to take us captive. And the result can be catastrophic, quite frankly, to our soul, to others, to ourselves. And so... We talked about that truly the the spiritual warfare of the Christian, the battlefield is our thoughts. Always. Always. The encouragement that we remember we talked about last week is who are we in Christ and who is Christ in us? Christ is our deliverer from every thought, from every temptation. Christ is our strength. Christ is our power. Christ is our warrior in the moments where these influences produce thought. And if Christ is in us, then all the demons have to obey. If Christ is in us, who all the demons have to obey... What real excuse do we have to offer but to cry out for mercy when we fall into sin because of our thoughts? He has given us Himself. Who He is. All that He is. And it is He that steps into. If we will create space for Him in our thoughts, it is He that makes Himself present. And it is He that commands the demons to flee. He shares the authority of Himself by sharing who He is and all that He is with us in the moments. Remember that? We looked at what St. Paul said in 2 Corinthians in chapter 10, where he said, For we, excuse me, for, forgive me, for though we walk in the flesh, that's this frail stuff, fallen, we do not war according to the flesh. That is, we don't war from the limitations Before Christ, before our baptism, before our being filled with the Holy Spirit, this is not how we wage war in our frailty. We wage war with the fullness of God in us. For he says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. For casting down arguments that, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. 
Why are the weapons not carnal? That Which means, why are they not limited to our frailties? Why are they not weak and unable to do anything? Because the weapons of our warfare are not weapons, they're a person. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay? And we talked about the necessity. This This will close the review. The problem is not that we have thoughts. And remember what we said. These pinprick birth of thoughts are never sin. If we allow the thoughts to fester in our lives, they produce sinful desires, which produce sinful actions. But the temptation, the birth of the thought, all it is is the birth of a thought. And every birth of a thought needs to be discerned. Is this you, Christ, or is this against you? And if it's against you, I bring you into this moment. Come and deliver me from this thought. That's the thought, the birthplace, the logismi is not sin. It's what we allow to happen with that thought that develops into sin. Okay? Always keep that in your mind. But the necessity is in the birthplace, the logismi of that thought. The necessity is to bring Christ tangibly into the moments of the birth of the thought. Which means immediately, we talked about various means that we can bring Christ. Let me rephrase that. I say bring Christ in. I want to change that. It's not true. What can we do to reawaken ourselves that Christ is already fully present? That's better, isn't it? That's more true. Christ hadn't gone anywhere. Christ doesn't depart from His people. We allow ourselves to depart from Him in our thinking, in our reality, in the way in which we live. So we need to do something to reawaken ourselves to the fact that Christ is fully present at the birthplace of a thought. So we talked about various things we can do. We talked about, I asked the question, what can we do? And some of you said the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Keep saying it until the thought diminishes. Because Christ awakens us to His presence. We awaken ourselves to our fellowship with Him in that moment. Making the sign of the cross, somebody said. Absolutely. And I read you the quote, and I'll read it again. And there are many quotes of the fathers, but I do love this one from St. Athanasius who said, by the signing of the Holy Cross and life-giving cross, devils and various scourges are driven away. For it is without price and without cost and praises Him who can say it. The Holy Fathers have by their words transmitted to us and even to the unbelieving heretics how the two raised fingers and the single hand reveal Christ our God in His dual nature, God and man but single substance, one person. The right hand proclaims His immeasurable strength. He is sitting on the right hand of the Father and is coming down unto us from heaven. Again, by the movement of the hands to our right, the enemies of God will be driven out. Why? Because Christ sits on the right hand of God in the seat of authority. Christ who is God, the right hand of the Father. The authority. As the Lord, when we make the sign of the cross, triumphs over the devil and his unconquerable power, rending, rendering him dismal and weak in the moment. There is grace. 
There is power in the action that, that Christ through His church has given us. And it awakens us to all that is never we have never been without. It awakens us to things we've never been without. It awakens us to what is there. It pulls the blindness off of our eyes for a moment while we have this thought that we know darn well is not of God. And we let Him come into the moment. Our Lord's Prayer is another one for in that we do we not say deliver us and make the sign of the cross when we say deliver us. Deliver us from evil. These are all good ways to bring Christ into the moments. And we want to continue this thought today. And, and what we want to talk about today is now that we understand we need to awaken ourselves to Christ in those moments. How about we talk about our posture? How we do this? What position are we worried about in our thought life? That's what we want to cover today. I read a reading of the Fathers that I'm going to share with you in just a minute, but it awakened me to something in my fatherly relationship with my children when they were young. So, living in New Orleans, and the kids growing up in New Orleans, particularly Jonathan and Jesse, I think Elizabeth was seven when we came here, or something like that. But I remember when my boys were young, and when I was taking either one of them or both of them on a walk, anywhere in the city. You know, from time to time, kids can get scared of things that they see. Even when we go to such a pleasant place in New Orleans, a beautiful place, City Park, with all these gorgeous rows and rows of of Spanish moss-filled oak trees. And we go and let them climb on them. You know, people bring their dogs to the park. How does a child react to a dog that he's never seen before, especially one that's a little bit bigger than him? Okay, so I want you to, let's revisit this with me, because this is what came into my mind. Then I'll share with you the teaching of the fathers. So I'm walking, let's say it was Jonathan. I had Jonathan with me at City Park, and this, this actually happened one time. And there was a dog that was bigger than my son. And the dog was getting kind of close to us. Do you think Jonathan had thoughts of being threatened? Of course. As a child? Of course. Yeah, right. What do you think his response was? To run out and beat the dog? No. No, that is not what my son did. Because I would have put him on a leash if he started doing such things. No, no, no. What do you think my son did? He ran not only to me. He ran behind me. And I lost circulation in my leg. Because he ran behind me. And he grasped onto my leg. That was his reaction. When he struggled with the first thought of being threatened. He ran to daddy. He ran behind me and wrapped tightly to my leg. Because what do you think? Let's work it through a child's mind, even though they're not verbalizing this. What is that action? All of us have experienced that with our children from time to time. What's processing in their minds? If they do what? If they if they can just get behind daddy, what are they thinking? They're safe. Daddy will protect me. My daddy will protect me. That, whatever is threatening me, will not hurt me if I'm, if I'm latched on to daddy and I've got him in front of me. Is that not true? That's precisely what's going on in the child's mind. So why can't we live as adults as children? 
to a heavenly father. Our job is not to destroy Satan. His authority has already been wiped away by our heavenly father through Christ. Let me read to you now the quote from the fathers. This comes from St. Barsanufius and John. They were monastics. They were ascetics in the early church, 4th and 5th century. Listen to what they say. Do not contradict thought, I'm sorry, do not contradict thoughts suggested by your enemies, for that's exactly what they want you to do and they will not cease from troubling you. But turn to the Lord for help against them, laying before him your own powerlessness, for he is able to expel them and reduce them to nothing. Let me read that again. Tell me if this is not what's in a child's mind with a father when they feel threatened. Do not contradict thoughts suggested by your enemies. In other words, don't wage war with the enemies. Don't let your focus be the enemies. For that's exactly what they want. And they will not cease from troubling you. But turn to the Lord for help against them. Laying before Him your powerlessness. What do you think the Kyrie is? It's not just, Lord, have mercy on me over my sins. That's definitely true. But, Lord, have mercy on me, for I am incomplete, frail, and still in the process of healing. You must be my strength and my refuge in every moment of my life. Kyrie eleison. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Laying before Him your own powerlessness. For He is He, not you. He is able to expel them and reduce them to nothing. To give you another physical example from my life that I've used before. And I tell you, what I'm about to describe to you with this physical example truly was my approach to spiritual warfare for a long time until I came into the church and learned differently. It's made all the difference in the world. I've told you many times I used to go dirt bike riding with my dad. And when I first started dirt bike riding, it actually used to tickle him how I would continuously get stuck in the ruts. You know, when you're riding on a path, and and we were doing like enduro-style riding, so hill climbs and all through the the forests and all of that, beautiful, love doing it. But it's challenging. And many bikes would ride through there. And when many many bikes ride through, particularly after a rain, what does it create? Ruts. And those ruts can throw you off a bike. The ruts are dangerous. Man, I used to get into those. I was a rut puppy. I used to get into those ruts for some reason, and I would have trouble getting out. One of the, and after my dad saw this a few times, he pulled me aside. And he said, listen to me carefully. The reason you are both going into the ruts, and the reason you can't come out of them, is because you're, I'm looking at your head. Your eyes are fixed on the danger. Your eyes are fixed on the ruts that you're in. He said, listen to me. The bike is going to follow where your eyes go. He would write. Because the next time I went through there and I saw a rut, first of all, I wouldn't look at it. My eyes would be set on the good ground. 
And when my eyes were set on the good ground, my bike would follow me. It's amazing how that works because by the eyes, every muscle controls the bike and the bike follows. And the bikes are made to do so. And if I slipped into a rut, I would quickly set my eyes not on the problem, but on the solution. My eyes would go onto the good ground and the bike would climb right out of that rut. And off we go. You getting it? What do we do? We are so sick and tired, particularly of our besetting sins, that we, like warriors running out of a fortress, but we're alone, try to strike at our besetting sins. Try to wrestle with our, not with the weapons that are not carnal, we try to wrestle with carnal ones we don't even realize it. And so we keep getting into these besetting sins time and time again. The key is where do we set our countenance? What's our countenance? Our face. Where do we set our countenance at the pinprick birth of the thoughts? Is it on the sin or the God who overcomes? Think about it. I promise you this. If our eyes, when we begin to with discipline, recognize from the influence the birth of the thought, if our eyes immediately go to Christ in those moments, we let ourselves be awakened to Him in those moments, that thought will be canceled. That thought will diminish because Christ is in us. I read a book. Another thing to give you another example of this. This was 15, 20 years ago. There's a book by someone named Dr. Ted Roberts. He was a, he was a Protestant pastor at the time that he wrote this book. But Dr. Ted Roberts was a, uh, in his early adulthood, was a bomber in Vietnam. And he would describe in the book how literally from the bottom of the planes, not only did he see the bombs that he would drop, he would see the body parts blow apart on those he dropped them. It's devastating to him. And like many who went through the Vietnam War or any other war, they are scarred by what they see, experience, and do. And Dr. Ted Roberts, his choice to numb his pain while in Vietnam was pornography. That was his escapism. And he would run to it and it would numb him. It would never heal the pain. In fact, it created more pains later on in his life. But he ran to it. That's what happens with all the different drug addictions. We have pain undealt with that we don't bring to the Lord and we bring in false means by which to heal them that never heal but numb and actually destroy. And that's, but that's what he did. And he said when he became a Christian after Vietnam, he started trying to battle his pornography. And I, and I love the expression that he used at his constant failures. And never overcoming. He used this example. He said, I constantly felt like a person that had a hangman's noose around the neck tied to a tree. And my thought was, well, if I just run away from the tree, I'll be okay. Well, what happens when you run away from the tree? If that's your focus with a noose around your neck, you're going to hit a point that it's going to do what? Tighten. 
It tightens its grip. Until he discovered the very principle, even though he didn't come to know it by the fathers, but it's the same truth, and that is, rather than me focusing my life and energy on trying to overcome what I'm never able to overcome, what if I take the same time and energy and I focus upon the living Lord Jesus in my life? And my friends, that is how the noose loosened. Over time, it loosened and loosened and loosened because Christ has authority, the ability to heal and mend, and He casts away the enemy on our behalf if we will just live in and from Him and set our face toward Him. Does that make sense? You see what the fathers are saying? I really do want you to consider your own battles against your humanity and the weaknesses of your flesh. How much battle are you doing and how much energy are you pouring to remaining in Christ in the moments of your life? Because one will exhaust you and one will bring you joy and peace. You take the pick. You take the pick. The Christian spiritual warfare is to set our face to God because of who He is and who He's made Himself. Will you allow me to share some psalms with you? All through the Holy Scripture, Old Testament and New, God is described as a refuge and a stronghold and a person in time of need. When we need Him, in time of help, He is there. Let me offer you some psalms for you to remember who He is. First, Psalm 91. I love how this psalm starts because it starts with the idea of one placing themselves in Christ, making Christ their dwelling place. Here's the psalmist's words. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Okay, so there's first. He who makes God his dwelling place. Now listen. I will say to the Lord... He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. What's he saying? The person that makes God their home, that makes God their dwelling place, not all their days, all their moments. The one who makes God their dwelling place will have no fear will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And it doesn't matter the terrors or the destructiveness of all that's going around us. And it doesn't matter the blessed birth of a thought, when, not if, when they come. Because I've made my home in Him. I've made Him my dwelling place. I live in Him as one would live in a fortress that is impenetrable. And it is He who fends off the enemy and keeps me safe and at peace and keeps the chaos on the outside. 
Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. Listen to this. One thing, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble... Thoughts. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me under his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me, and he shall set me high upon a rock. Where is the gaze of the Christian again, every moment of their life? Upon Almighty God. Psalm 46. One of my favorites. All these are. Okay, all of them are my favorites. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. You hear all the calamity? Think of the calamity in your life. By your thoughts. By the influences that come dashing against you, producing thoughts, chaos, calamity. That's what's described. And yet in the midst of it, he finalizes it with this. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Isn't that incredible? problem we have, I alluded to it last week. The problem we have is we live a compartmentalized life. I want you to think about it. We live a compartmentalized life. Let me walk you through what I mean by that. Okay, so we all know about the hours of prayer and let's assume we're all doing them for a second. A compartmentalized life looks like this. Okay, I get up, I sign myself with a cross. Beautiful. And I go before my icons and I pray. I've taken care of that, thank God, rightly so. Okay, I go about my day. I go to work. I go to watch my kids. I go to watch my grandkids. I go to the grocery store. I go to this. Somehow, somehow I've detached from what I started with. Okay, then let's say by discipline we hit noon. We're faithful. We go before the icons and we do our noon prayers. Or if we're in our offices or lunch places, whatever it is, we do our, noon, our brief noon prayers. Excellent. Thank God. We depart from that and go about the second half of our day. Till we come to evening prayer. Do the same thing. Then, oh, well, we've got to get the kids ready for next day. We've got to do the... And our minds... And all those things are not wrong. It's life. The problem is we've compartmentalized spirituality from physical existence. When the life of the Christian that finds rest in God, there's no compartmentalization. They do the prayers in the morning, and somehow in the back of their mind, even when they're on their task, there's, there's a thought, God is present. And every now and again I go to Him because I'm struggling with something in this moment. Then any of those tasks or duties or very real things in life... What, the one who lives the non-compartmentalized life, 
is, a, is aware and awakened to the fact that Christ is present in every moment of my day. You see? That's what we have to get to. Why do you think Paul says pray without what? Non-compartmentalized faith. Non-compartmentalized experience with a living God who, is, who we have become His. We have become His temple. And He wants us to make Him our refuge. Isn't that a beautiful concept? He has made each and every one of you His temple, the place where He dwells. And He wants to make us he wants us to make Him the same. And there we have oneness with Christ. There we experience union. There we experience not only victory, but sustained peace from all the chaos. We have to get there. Is it any wonder? We're all familiar with Ephesians 6, the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about it anyway, but... Um, in Ephesians chapter 6, St. Paul says, Put on the full armor of God that you may stand, withstand the onslaught, the wiles of the devil. Okay? I want you to think about what he's really saying. Because, let me give you the armor of God. Put on the armor of God, he says. Here's the armor of God. Gird your waist with truth. Gird your breastplate with righteousness. Put the gospel of peace on your feet. The shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. The sword of the Spirit. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, sword. Who is that? Who is it? Who does that describe? Christ. What is Paul saying? Put on Christ. That you may stand in the day of temptation that you may withstand the wiles of the enemy. You see it? Now Paul uses armor and warfare because there is such a thing. But the reality is the armor of the Christian is their Savior. The armor of the Christian is their Savior and no other. And so we put on Christ. I want to be very clear as we conclude. Thoughts. Thoughts that we are to take captive by the work of Christ in our lives are not just temptations to actions of sin. Those aren't the only things that destroy us and keep us captive. There are all other types of births of thoughts that if we let entertain in our minds and fester, they take us captive. Let me give you some examples of, of some other ones. Anxiety. Anxiety is something that will divide us from God and keep us in bondage. And there's always the influence with a pinprick birth of a thought that brings about anxiety. Let me give you some more. Depression. Depression is not of the kingdom of God. Depression is in the fallen world. God can mend the cause of depression if we are living in Him, we can be released from its bondage. How about doubt? Lack of faith? How about self-hatred and self-loathing? These are not things of the kingdom of God. 
How about the satanic shame that we've talked about many times here in this room and I've talked about from the pulpit? That all shame, not godly sorrow, Godly sorrow produced by the Lord who shows us where we're not like Him, the ways that our soul is being damaged. And the godly sorrow over what we see is actually Him drawing us into Himself so that He can heal it and mend it. Satanic shame says, look at what you've done. You dare not go before God. Run away. That's a thought, isn't it? And there's a birthplace of it. By an influence. Do you see how thoughts are more than just, I'm going to go commit adultery on my husband or wife, or I'm going to go... You see what I'm saying? Some, some of these made things we consider major sins, anything that divides us is a problem, my friends. Because our Lord doesn't want any... He came to mend the division. Did He not? So when we talk about taking thoughts captive, we talk about thoughts being the battleground. I want to conclude with St. Porphyrios of Mount Athos. I love this. Listen to these words. It fits right in with the whole flow of what we've been talking about. He teaches, Do not fight to expel the darkness from the chamber of your soul. Open a tiny aperture for light to enter. And the darkness will be dispelled. I'm going to read that one more time. Do not fight. Remember what he's talking about. So where are we going to set our face? Where are we going to set our face? He says, do not fight to expel the darkness from the chamber of your soul. Rather, open just a tiny aperture for light to enter in. And the darkness will disappear. The life of the Christian, and I'll probably say it 10,000 more times before our Lord takes me, unless He takes me right now. (laughs) Honest. (laughs) By your will, 10,000 more times. The salvation of the Christian, the life of the Christian, the victory of the Christian is 100% predicated. The fight that we have is not against our enemy. The fight that we have is to remain in Christ. That's the battle of the Christian. And the one who battles toward Christ, Christ rushes towards. And you create that, just like St. Porphyria said, just that little aperture for light to come in. And it will be blinding in your soul. Hmm? Does that help? Let's stand.